1: How can you beat the underdog avalanche when you're drafting over at Underdog Fantasy? In whatever contest you are, they have a wide range of options available, Sean, as we well know, and they continue to add fantastic options that we're going to be drafting in as we approach the NFL season. We'll be talking more about that on future shows, but today we're going to talk about a draft that Sean did very recently with one of our good buddies, Peter Overzet. We're going to talk through some of the strategies that were behind some of the decisions, and we'll talk a little bit about the team as we get further into the show. I'm going to mention, Sean, at the start, though. Obviously, this was drafted on the live stream with yourself and Pete. It goes up on Peter's uh, YouTube channel each and every week. He does a draft usually with a guest or Pat Korean Then it's followed up by you guys. And then that show also goes up on the Road of His Best Ball podcast channel. But you can watch it live and go through the stream that way over on Pete's channel as well. So a lot of fun watching those. I'm sure, Sean, you're having a good time doing those drafts. We're going to talk through then the strategy of that today. But if you are also playing over at Underdog where these drafts took place, and if you're trying to avoid those avalanches, you can use the code RotoViz to get yourself a 100% sign up bonus up to $100 when playing over there. But Sean, firstly, obviously, those drafts have been a lot of fun. All fantasy drafts tend to be a lot of fun for us, but looking forward to going through some of the ins and outs of, of how these decisions came. And something that I really enjoy post draft when you do these articles is looking at you know what historically that. Build has meant in the past, and and what you can kind of learn from it as we move forward. Because again, I think a lot of people overlook recapping their drafts and and looking where either things that they did work really well or where maybe some potential mistakes and improvements can be made for for future drafts. So always love going through these articles.
2: And it, it's such a valuable exercise. Ben and I did an underdog draft for stealing bananas for this week, and the second show that comes out is a pretty deep dive into the team. One of the things that we do is look at some of my pieces and look at Ben's projections to evaluate the guys that we selected and how the fits work. But then the other part of it is that if there were picks that we weren't that comfortable with, and there were certainly, when there was a pick that I messed up right at the beginning, which had a humorous element to it, but there was a pick in round 11 that we just, we didn't really care for. And yet, even after sort of an hour of working through the team and trying to figure out every possible scenario that could have played out given an hour we didn't have a better pick than what we had been able to make in the 25 seconds or so you have when you're on the clock and so sometimes you make a pick that you don't like and there just actually wasn't a better option sometimes if you make a bad pick i mean you need to be very ready to not do that again and so these are our great exercises but this draft with pete was really cool i tend to pick out the drafts for articles that are the most interesting from the perspective of things that you can do or need to do. Interesting choices that come up, how you can build teams that probably have a chance to win the whole thing. So if Pete and I are celebrating a $3 million win uh, six months from now, then maybe it'll be this team because I like the way that we build here. One of the things that sort of talk about to set the scene is that those drafts are even more wide receiver heavy than the normal draft so it's almost a double avalanche we look at the adp from the season and obviously wide receivers are going fast and furious we start out by taking the win the flex tool and discussing this big edge for running backs in terms of early scoring colin you think through the years and one of the reasons that we wanted folks to draft wide receivers in so many contests and especially full PPR contests where you have flex spots that you can dominate from is that you want to take advantage of that scoring edge. We have some incentives in 2023 that push us toward running back for that, but we also have this different dynamic where robust running back when running backs have the scoring advantage is not going to be as successful or give you the same overall benefits the zero RB has when the opposite is the case So we want to keep that in mind but yet we also want to think about the fact that I mean running back could be the way to play th- this year and all that we have to do to at least start to make that case is to look at 2021 which had a lot of similar players a lot of similar dynamics at the different positions from a scoring perspective in a 2021 you pull up the Rotoviz Underdog Roster Construction Explorer, and you can see that a running back, running back start generated playoff advance rates of almost 23%.
1: I'm just gonna to say to people, listen to these numbers that Sean's gonna give you because it's in the article and it's easy, obviously, for me to see visually. The difference in these two years is astounding. The 23%
2: is crushing the tournament, right? You come back in 2022, And that drops below 11%.
1: And that also, with the the first year, Sean, was just short of 22,000 entries. With that example, last year, there's 113,500. So even with the increased volume, like the, the difference there is, and I think that is also, you know, when we talk about the historical information, we've talked about some of the quarterback stuff over the last number of months, but it's important to also be aware of the abnormalities of, some of these seasons and then trying to differentiate that with the historical information as well.
2: And one of the things that I like about contrasting 2021 and 2022 in the underdog tools is that you do get a sense that individual seasons are going to have some differences. And especially when you contrast the running back and wide receiver positions, because so much of it is going to be determined by where the hits came in that year. One of the reasons that we have the wide receiver avalanches in 2023 is that we had this season where Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders or Stevenson and Tony Pollard hit from a range that is either in or depending on how you look at it is at the tail end or stretching into maybe the next window, but you have running backs generating good numbers and elite advance rates from this area that is usually the dead zone. It's not just that we're looking back and saying, okay, running backs have not scored well in these ADP ranges, but understanding why, which is the profiles of the running backs in those ranges have historically been very, very poor. And so the whole philosophy for anchor running back is that you can get that profile where you're starting to touch, I mean, you think full PPRs, touch double-digit EP In both rushing and receiving but you're getting that workload to where when the guy stays healthy and when he outperforms the workload which is something you get a little bit more exposure to if you have a star so you're talking about workload plus star can give you these seasons that are league winning and or tournament winning if we could just grab those guys out of the dead zone every year then the price would be different. I mean, it it wouldn't make sense to say, okay, you can just grab it out of the dead zone because drafters are better than that. They can see the players who have these star profiles, the star profiles, and then the profiles that are a little bit more like Stevenson and Pollard. I mean, one of the reasons that those guys are so interesting is that they have been in the past players who would have fallen a little bit further and you could get into that range where you're starting to think, I mean, this is zero RB, we're already loaded up. At wide receiver and now we can get profiles like stevenson and pollard when we look through the mix of 2023 prices you've got some variety there you've got some interesting choices ben and i have done a very detailed show on the running back dead zone if you're wanting to look at specific guys you can check that out but for this article and for this exercise one of the things i wanted to look at is how in 2022 then you have the wide receiver heavy start puts up a really good win rate getting to almost, or an advanced rate getting to almost 20%. But then the, the thing that's kind of interesting, and it's definitely cheating because you're just cherry picking out what worked, but I think it's relevant and interesting because what we're trying to do in 2023, our whole goal, our whole project as drafters is to figure out what will be the perfect mix. And so you look at 2021. You could push those advance rates even higher if you had gone running back times two, that double anchor, and then you take four wide receivers, you get that advance rate up over 25%. If you get to the five running back, which I think structurally just makes a lot more sense, even if you're running back heavy, I don't think that you want to go with just four, you get the win rate up above or the advance rate up above 27%. Well, then in 2022, we think, okay, well, the wide receiver is where the edge is. If you go wide receiver times four and then you simply pick out that stretch where the running back scored well and say take two of them in those next four rounds then you have an advance rate above 24 percent the reason that i kind of discuss it from that perspective and then go into the dead zone and and where those backs are going to be and how we want to pick the players out is that 2023 because it's giving us these great running back prices almost certainly is going to have a mix that takes elements from 2021 that takes elements from 2022 and or that there's going to be this running back wide receiver hybrid build that is dominant because you're getting a lot of value at the running back position and you have to be loaded up at wide receivers so then the challenge is how we translate that into a real draft. We don't want to be completely locked out at QB. We want to have some tight end upside. We want to still draft a tournament team, right? One of the things that you do see when you go in to this and you look at maybe 2021 and say, okay, well, the elite QBs were not nearly as determinative that season. And yet in the playoffs, they still brought these advantages. So how do we mix all those things in? Because Colin, one of the things that you and I talk about, is, when you can have an area of the draft that's good for wide receivers or an area of the draft that's good for running backs. You still only get one selection from each of those rounds when we get out of eight rounds we're going to have eight guys we're not going to have 11 or 12 because of those are the players we like there we can't take all of these running backs and all these wide receivers and be like yeah but you know also i'm going to have a star wide or a star qb a star tight end you have to make some choices and that's what this particular draft i think was so interesting for but we set it up by looking at the history and colin also have an article kind of going back through history stretching it back to, to 2015 using some of the ffpc tools and obviously those seasons are relevant as they give us a feel for how not every year is the same and if you're just flagrantly chasing the previous year you're probably not putting enough analysis into it colin as we look at the guys who were available early here and as we look at this draft what are some of your thoughts on how pete and i moved through
1: So what I think is very interesting when we are again drafting and when it's an avalanche, there is a couple of things that you can do and this is always the dilemma and I think this is something that you have encountered here as well is before we even talk about the dead zone and how that may get changed because both of 2023 ADP and because of how an avalanche draft is going to push those guys down, it really does set up an opportunity to go with those elite or potentially moving into that elite zone of running backs and you know by the end of 2023 season so in this draft for example you've taken Tyree Kill then Jonathan Taylor and Andre Stevenson and then Jackson Smith and Jigba but Smith and Jigba in the fourth round at that point the the balance becomes again when we're going to talk about I'm always going to plug this Sean drafting back to front is what that's going to cost later and the challenge when you know it's going to be a draft like this as we move through the rest of the the team and, and how things have set up we're obviously targeting the profiles and Jonathan Taylor and Stevenson are probably maybe two or four potential running backs that we're looking to draft in that one true four-round range at the the running back position uh, when we get into that second round, obviously leaving the likes of McCaffrey and, and B. John Robinson maybe in the mix as well ahead of that, but they are definitely foundation backs for this team and the other thing that I think that falls into is something that I've been playing a little bit with is when you are having what you would call a double anchor or a hero a double hero can kind of rb or a hero rb build in these situations the way that running backs have fallen particularly in these sort of drafts is with the likes of Ramon, ray stevenson or even um you know if a Brees hall's in that zone you're looking at having your hero or double anchor in that little bit of a later range and that can happen as well in these uh you know kind of avalanche drafts as, as the wide receiver does get pushed up but through those rounds, Sean absolutely no problems with the picks the the one that i haven't drafted as much of this year is tyreek hill but when you're at that fourth spot jefferson Chase, and copper off the board um you are in a spot there where it's kind of christian mccaffrey travis kelsey um or tyreek hill if you want to go wide receiver the tricky part particularly in a draft like this christian mccaffrey is somebody you mentioned in the article but when you are in a draft like this you're already thinking well, there is going to be some running back options here in the, the second, third, or fourth round. And if you did Christian McCaffrey there, you're you're kind of instantly limiting some of the potential options for what you're going to do later on in the draft. That will be the one pick that I would have potentially changed at the start of the draft, but I'm pretty sure that's going to be, come into your thinking as to why you didn't go McCaffrey there. Yeah, and
2: I, I mean, I have McCaffrey right there, if not higher than Hill. Pete and I had already done a CMC team and that influenced the selection a little bit but partly when you're in that spot the 104 in what you assume is going to be an avalanche draft you're looking at the guys you're going to get a shot at in round two and so we see Olave higgins waddle those guys all go in the middle of the second the best option coming back around to us was dk metcalf we talk a bit on the show about how we more or less have jsn at the same basic level the next wide receiver selected calvin ridley we discussed how we like to play the jaguars which is not through the most expensive pieces and the jaguars are actually a pretty tricky team to play effectively i wouldn't be surprised at all if trevor lawrence has a fantastic season i wouldn't be surprised if he is a league winner maybe even a tournament winner and yet at the same time the prices and the mix and how you set up the game stacks with the jaguars are not as compelling when you look at upside to price as a lot of other teams so i'll be underweight on that but when dk metcalf and calvin ridley are your two best choices at the wide receiver position at 209 you get a real sense of what (laughs) the drafts are giving you which is not wide receiver right i mean those are guys that i mean i think are round four values and so if you're going to have to pick them 209 you're going to pass you're
1: going to go somewhere else you you also, just to continue on that for people that are, are uh, listening and, and didn't get to see the stream, when you take Taylor at that point, it is DK Metcalf, Pollard, Barkley, Derrick Henry, Brees Hall, Calvin Ridley, then you make the Stevenson pick, then it's Hurts, then it's Mahomes, then it's Josh Jacobs, then it's Mark Andrews, before you get to Debo Samuel, Amari Cooper, Keenan Allen. At, at, at that point, and this is where you're looking at a true avalanche, it is, it is wiped out in the mid-second round at, at the wide receiver position
2: it's completely wiped out. And so you have to understand where these bubbles are, where these pockets are. I like the wide receiver options at the beginning of round one, that trio there I think is elite. I like the wide receiver options kind of at the one, two turn Garrett Wilson, Amon Ra, Jalen Waddle. Those guys I think can be elite. And when you think about the prices this year, Those are okay prices to pay. Maybe in the past you would have wanted even a little bit more of a cushion, even with the upside. But I think that that setup is is very nice. Once you get out of that range though, you're basically thinking, okay, T Higgins in a build that makes sense or Chris Olave at some level, it's probably not gonna be an extremely high level, but you're gonna want some exposure there. And then you have this big pocket where there isn't much that you can realistically do at the wide receiver position. You just kind of discussed how you went from the middle of two to late three, how there are just a couple of wide receivers there because the value is so bad. But once Debo Samuel is selected at the 309, we have a run here in this draft where 13 out of 14 picks are wide receivers. And you know that as well, right? When you're when you're taking Ramondre Stevenson at the 304, you're like, the guys who come back in round four are not going to feel like round four receiver values, which is one of the reasons that we end up on JSN. There are going to be a lot of listeners who are either playing a format or are in underdog leagues themselves where it's not quite as wide receiver heavy. And they're thinking, I mean, JSN in four is such a massive reach that I mean it's very difficult for him to really have any scenario where he pays that off. And yet, if we end up with scoring from the three Seattle receivers that is fairly balanced, and that's maybe not the most likely outcome, you're going to give a little bit of an edge to the veterans. But when you're thinking about especially second half of the season upside, the thing that happens in this draft is that we draft JSN at 409. And I mean, if we make a different pick, it changes everything that goes after that. But Tyler Lockett goes at 501. And so you're not even necessarily going to get a shot to take a Seattle wide receiver in round five. If you pass on one of them in round four, so that part of it is is also the d- dynamic that we're dealing with. And so I think that that part is really interesting. One of the things here is that in CMC in round one would have been such a compelling choice, and then Jameer Gibbs had fallen to that point. When you have a 13 out of 14 stretch, a receiver, you're going to have some running backs fall. We could have selected ETN in the fourth. We could have selected Gibbs in the fourth. Those would have been interesting choices in a vacuum. Both of those guys have a lot more value than JSN. And so one of the arguments that you could make here, and I think you definitely want to work through and think about is, should this have been Tyree kill and then hyper fragile? Should it have been running back, running back, running back? But one of the reasons why you take Taylor and Stevenson and you avoid the pick in round one and round four is that the overall context of this draft almost demands it. there's nobody that you like. In round two and three but you do like hill and you do like jsn and so you go ahead and make those picks even though the best pick is probably still a running back but you have to also have outs for this wide receiver avalanche so that's where i think understanding how 2021 worked 2022 worked and then your specific draft works is so crucial then we come back with Traylon burks in five we were ecstatic when george pickens comes to us in six we take Zay Flowers in seven. That's maybe the one that I'm the least comfortable with because I, I don't feel like the upside for Flowers is all that great when you consider where he was as a prospect, which is probably at least mildly overvalued. And then this passing game where especially if Mark Andrews has a good season and stays healthy, certainly if Rashad Bateman, if the things that we're dealing with right now turn out to be a mirage, if he's healthy, it's going to be hard for flowers to score from that point but one of the things that you're looking at in addition to addressing wide receiver is you're thinking how can i make sure that these this team is built in a way that if it makes it through it has enough playoff upside and finals week upside with those running backs so i think a lot of the concern that you can have about getting caught out by an avalanche you can counterbalance by taking the right combination of receivers we have Hill in one, we have Flowers in seven, and then the guy that we like as the best value really in the single-digit rounds at QB is Tua. Colin, you mentioned taking CMC in the first. That's what I would do most of the time. I have Hill and Waddle close enough that my exposure to, to Waddle will be a lot higher, and yet I think you also have to mix in some Hill teams because especially until Tua takes another round leap, which I think is coming. You have to have as many of these teams where you're basically getting elite QB value without having to pay for it.
1: Yeah, and I and I think your point there is kind of where I I, I mentioned the Hell pick. It wasn't that I, I don't like Tyree Hill, but you know, price comparative uh or you know comparing them, I, I would much rather have Waddle. So I think that's part of my thinking. Not that I, I don't think Hell will have another huge season, but to be able to pair him with to uh, at that particular point of the draft i think really is a, is a nice move that was in the, the ninth round sean when you look through it again and you this draft like you mentioned there could have started christian mccaffrey jonathan taylor and stevenson and either etienne or gibbs you know the, again that is part of the avalanche occurring and all the wide receivers being drafted you mentioned the the massive stretch there in the the three four area becomes a little bit more balanced I guess as we we go through the the five to nine range but I, I do think that while it may feel like a reach on the the JSN pick I think it takes a lot of discipline and a pick like that to also take the wide receiver over the potential better options at running back because what that's going to mean for your roster as the team is built throughout these additional stages so if you pass on JSN again there and um, then you're down you know one i just think there's so much that you can lose by not going wide receiver and that can be very very hard in a draft where so many wide receivers have gone off the board do you think that is something that for most drafters can be very very challenging and they they won't be able to pass up that opportunity to to take the running back there and and take jsn because after that then you, you mentioned tyler lockett but christian kirk goes two picks after and then tyler lockett you're into some of the quarterback options deandre hopkins T- Traylon Burks who then used the draft, Marquise Brown, Michael Pittman, Deontay Johnson, Quinton Johnson. This is the range where we've talked about a few times where you almost want two players from those two rounds but they, they've they been pushed up so high in this particular draft. The other thing to consider is again if you go running back there you're going to be limited uh, at your wide receiver furthermore but it's also going to potentially put you in a bind at the point that you want to maybe take to as your quarterback in that zone or later on you do go with your your first tight end we'll talk about in a moment but it also puts pressure on when you're able to make those changes to to draft those particular onesie positions
2: right so i think the dolphins game stack is so hugely valuable because it's the one play that very clearly gives you the extreme upside that you may need to win a tournament without having to make that QB pick in a range where once you make that QB pick, then you simply can't get the wide receiver or running back value that you'd have gotten there. Now in this particular draft, you could argue that Deshaun Watson in round eight does some similar things. The drafter in the middle is able to take Elijah Moore with Deshaun Watson. And so once you get into that situation, you're starting to set up this, Nice team where you could potentially have, and it's not the case in this draft, but I think that if you get a Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Deshaun Watson team, then you're arguably accomplishing some of the same things. That would be the other way to do it. A little bit of that's going to depend on your belief in Deshaun Watson. It's going to depend on your comfort of taking someone who maybe has some of those off the field elements. But we're trying to figure out how we can get at least the double anchor. To not get too heavy on the running back. One of the things that I think, though, is that you just don't see that many teams in these drafts that are getting enough of both running back and wide receiver or getting the right receivers. And then this will be the other part that is going to be a little bit personal preference. But when we talk about trying to build the best possible team and trying to build teams that have similarities to what King Cap did last year when he won the regular season crown, is that I don't like to force really unlikely wide receiver picks. Unlikely to hit, unlikely to score enough points to move the needle. When you're trying to build out your game stacks and you've got some of those guys late as the way to do it, if it's a throwaway pick, it doesn't do much for me in terms of saying, well, now I actually have this game stacked and I'm hoping that the one time that the guy scores is in week 17. I think that you're giving up the value of your roster spots if you're building out the game stacks with receivers who are unlikely to help you really in any week other than week 17. Now, that's not to say that a Tyquan Thornton scoring the final week isn't a big deal. It is. Or that a Trey McBride scoring in the final week isn't a big deal. It is. And you're going to be selecting some guys. So if you like that player anyway, and you want him to be part of your roster because you think that he has the ability to ascend, then you're looking for ways to do that late. one of the teams, Colin, that you and I like to do, uh, and that we actually play in this draft here where we end up with Tyquan Thornton, Mike Gasicki, and Mac Jones in round 18, is that if you like those plays anyway, they're a great way to finish out your draft because you can develop a stack with the breakout and sleeper options that you want at great prices. But I'm not that interested in building out the game stacks through guys who just really aren't particularly relevant we want to make sure we're using those picks on upside tight ends we want to be using those picks on zero rb choices we know that there are some great picks right now in rounds 15 to 18 at the running back position you want to be hitting those guys so when we're trying to make sure that we get the full value from the running back discounts this year it's going to be taking those legendary upside guys and then it's going to be getting the wide receivers that build the highest upside game stack. So we know that we don't want to give away a lot of points or the implied points that come from giving up a lot of ADP value. And yet I prefer to give up some ADP value in these first eight rounds to make sure I'm getting the right wide receivers to build out the high upside teams and the right game stacks, as opposed to not having that and really using rounds 15 to 18 to force that part of the team and giving up a ton in terms of what the value of those late picks are. And so we come back to this team here and you get Brian Robinson, you get Khalil Herbert, you get Dalton Schultz, which I discussed a little bit, the pros and cons of that in the article, you get a Thornton. And then at the end you get Chuba, the final four picks. Then we're looking at QB and tight end Kenny Pickett, Mike Siki, Trey McBride, and Mac Jones. Column in our previous show, we talked about why Pickett historically fits a lot of the criteria that we want in a breakout. It doesn't mean he's going to have it this season. There are also guys in year two that didn't break out. We know that the Steelers are potentially looking at a run-heavy offense, even though they don't have any talent in their starting running back. So there are landmines, and it's not to say that Kenny Pickett is going to work, but when you have a team where you're able to get... JSN and George Pickens you want to come back with Pickett at the end of that team when you have a team with Taquan Thornton and Micah Siki, you want to at least consider Mac Jones in the final round he's not always there but if that's a better selection than taking a throwaway pick at a different position I like the way that this team is able to hit on 18 different guys that we really like as opposed to making a pick for a pick's sake late. And I like the fact that you're able to really balance out the positions with a lot of running back and wide receiver firepower. But then because you have so much firepower early, you're able to go three tight end and three QB if and when it makes sense. And that those are not just guys who were thrown in, but they're very intentional picks for what this specific roster did early and what it needs late and how that all works together.
1: Yeah, And when you look at the entire board when the, the draft is finished, I think these have done a, an exceptional job. The one advantage that really stands out having those two early running backs is that you were able to add that additional spot. You could, like, you know, you could have done it in different ways, but to have the three tight ends, three quarterbacks and, and the way as well. And one thing that we've mentioned, Sean, sometimes it's the teams that people aren't really attracted to. And for example, at the moment, it feels like that is going to be the new England Patriots until things change, but you're able to get Thornton in the fourteenth, then you get um Mike Asecki in the sixteenth, and then in the or sorry, in the thirteenth, and then in the eighteenth, you, you pair that with Mac Jones. You get kinda of that cheap New England stack to pair things up. You also um get Kenny Pickett to go along with George Pickens earlier in the draft as well. So I think all things considered, really rounded out this team in a, a pretty perfect way. I think sets it up quite nice. I think this Sean, you, you teased at the start but this may be one to to watch as the season goes along but lots of, of firepower but i i do think again having the discipline in that the fourth round to take jsn i think is where a lot of things hinged on this draft so nice job i didn't mention this at the start sean but these drafts that are on Peach channel are at 11, 11 a.m uh usually is when you join 11 a.m eastern time on wednesdays so uh, that might help people <laughs> when they're looking, tried all of the awesome content that Pete has tried all of the week uh, to be able to kind of pinpoint more if they're looking for your exact uh, show when you're on with them. But highly recommend that as well. Anything, Sean, though, in summary off the team, the article that you, you want to mention? Um, I think it's a, a really fun squad here that you've managed to build out.
2: Yeah, just to continue thinking, to continue to work through the puzzle, to have fun with it it's such a, a great challenge i think to draft in 2023 i think this is the most fun year for drafting and then continue to explore new ideas michael dunmer has some great stuff up on the site blair andrews we're going to have new as you're listening to this connor o'driscoll has a new piece out looking at the ffpc and we know that connor has been extremely successful there so anyone who wants to follow in his footsteps His articles, his strategy sessions are a great place to learn how to do that. Also, Colin, I would love for anyone who's interested in in this team or just, you know, wants to kind of follow along with these drafts as they go along, please subscribe to the Best Ball feed. If we have any OT listeners who aren't subscribed over there, you'll get those drafts. It helps us out as we build up the individual channels. We build up Rotoviz Radio as a whole. I mean... You guys have been absolutely fantastic. I appreciate it so much. Uh, clicking those buttons, if you want to leave a rating and review across some of the different feeds, as you mentioned, Colin, if you want to leave some comments on the YouTube, those things, even the ones that, you know, just take two or three minutes do help us quite a bit. So if this was interesting, leave us a little note somewhere, but subscribe to that feed. Love to get that best ball feed uh, sort of up at the level of overtime.
1: And the other thing Sean coming you mentioned uh, Connor at the start of the show. And again, I, I'm sending some messages behind the scenes to Connor. We may be linking up for some more drafting. Uh, you know, it's one of those things. He he beat us obviously, uh, and what you were mentioned there, he beat us to uh first place in the FFPC contest a couple of years ago. So uh, I've joined him since over the, the last couple of seasons to try and yeah, see you can't beat we him, can, join him. Yeah, if we if we can match some of that success. But looking forward, hopefully that will be coming out over the next couple of weeks if we can make it all match up but if you're also signing up over at rotavis.com you want to check out sean's article that we talked about today which will be linked in the show notes or any of the other content or tools up on rotaviz.com, use the promo code Radio 2023 to save you 10 percent off a rotaviz nfl pass the perfect time to sign up now as we are really starting to get into the the heart of all forms of drafts uh, and everything that's got going on at the moment so Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully, you've enjoyed the show. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at OverTomarland. My co host is Sean Siegel. Check out today's piece and much, much more up on lotoviz.com. And until we are back, have a good one.